Titus 2, 11 to 14 is one of those rich, dense, deep, packed <laughs> passages in Scripture that merit hours of meditation, which I've been doing recently. Yesterday was the Lord's Day, and I had some free hours in the afternoon, and I just lingered over these verses. And so I want to take you in to some of the riches and uh, maybe spend three or four sessions on this. So, Father, as we look at these precious sentences, words, phrases from the Apostle Paul, your inspired spokesman, uh, fill us with wisdom and receptive grace to see what's here and be transformed by it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The grace of God, for we'll come back to the word for later, why it's connected that way with what goes before. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'll explain why I put the Greek in there later. Who gave himself for us. You can see how long this sentence is, just phrase upon phrase. Paul keeps going. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people, for himself a people, for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. So all we're going to look at in this session is this first line here because of two things in it. For the grace of God has appeared that's a strange thing to say, isn't it? I mean, it raises the question, now, Paul, are you thinking of grace being present and active in some way, invisibly in the world, and then it appeared? Or is that an over-pressing of the words? So let's, let's ponder this. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's the second thing we'll look at. Salvation for all people. But let's stay here for a moment. The grace of God has appeared. So what I did is I took this word appeared, which interestingly is going to show up here, but that's, a, that's the second coming. This is the first coming, and we'll talk later about the relationship between those two. And I looked it up elsewhere, as well as grace. And here's what I found. Now, this is 2 Timothy 1. God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. So not based on what we've done. We didn't do anything to be called by God but it was his own purpose and grace which he gave us. When, when did that happen? In Christ Jesus, whoa, before the ages began. Like that's before creation. So this grace was active 
to call us and, and save us, be given to us before anything even existed. So that sheds a lot of light on appeared, I guess, right? For the grace of God that has been in God's heart and mind toward us to save, to call, has now appeared. Or here it is again in Titus 3, 4 to 7. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. So same idea, right? This is Titus. For the grace of God has appeared. And here in Titus, when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. So the salvation was planned in eternity, given to us in eternity, purposed in eternity before creation for us. And now he shows up to bring it to pass. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. It wasn't righteous deeds done by us. Not even, let alone bad deeds. Righteous deeds don't save us. God, in His grace, goodness, loving kindness, appearing in Jesus Christ, saves us according to His own mercy. That would be the grace. So that's my first observation. This grace here, this free kindness, goodness, mercy, undeserved favor of God toward us has appeared, but that's not the first time it has become active. It was active before the ages began. God saved us, called us to a holy calling, not because of works done because, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began. That's where grace was decisively active in our planned salvation. Now, when it appeared in Jesus Christ, it was salvation for all people, or that for all people might modify, appeared, appeared to all people, bringing salvation. I don't think it affects things materially. And so we must ask, how does salvation in this appearance relate to all people? And the answer would first seem to be, it is made available to all people. It is offered, offered to all people, extended to all people, preached to all people, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, making disciples of them. So this appearance brings a salvation into the world that is to be offered to all people. So it seems anyway. And then he goes on saying that this grace that has appeared is training us to renounce ungodliness. That us there would be who? Let's keep going. Training us 
to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live sober, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. That's who us are. These are the people who are uh, loving the hope of the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. These are not the world. This, this us here is these waiters, these lovers of Jesus Christ, eagerly anticipating his appearing. And then it further defines this Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people marked by what? For his own possession, zealous for good works. So it appears that on the one hand, grace has appeared for the salvation of all people and it has become effective in, in training us who are waiting and giving himself uniquely and effectively for us, redeeming us, purifying for himself a people, us, for his own possession. Now, how does that relate to the breadth of the gospel in, this, in, this, uh, in these pastoral letters? Here's a familiar passage, First Timothy. First of all, then, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Here's that phrase. For kings all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and respectful in every way. This is good and pleasing in sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So there's God's desire extending itself to all people, just as we saw back here. Grace has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, how does that relate to the peculiar effect of Christ's grace training us, giving himself for us, redeeming us, purifying us who are waiting? How does that work? And here's this strange and provocative passage in 1 Timothy 4, 9 and 10. I'll end with this. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people. All people. There's that phrase again. And then it says, especially of those who believe which I take to mean, you ponder this and think about it yourself, that this all people is precisely this dynamic. Grace has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So salvation is available and offered freely to all people by the appearance and the preaching of Jesus Christ. But this phrase right here, especially Savior especially of those who believe, I think that especially means this, this saving intention, this saving activity actually becomes effective in the lives of those who believe, training us who are waiting for the blessed hope, giving himself uniquely 
for us, redeeming us, purifying us for himself, a people of his own who are zealous for good deeds. So there is a universal extension of grace that appeared in Christ to all people, and there is a peculiar effectiveness of this grace, which we saw back here before the ages began. By his own purpose and grace, which he gave us uniquely before the ages began, in a saving purpose that goes beyond the offer of salvation to the actual effect of it in the unique giving of himself to redeem us and to purify us. Oh, so much more to see here. We'll be back. <laughs> 